Good stuff? I love, I love being in the presence of God. Listen, I don't want you to feel like we got to switch gears. To me, this is what the gear is, right? Some of you have been watching online the whole thing that are going on at Asbury College. Have you seen that? Right? Some of you have. It's wonderful. If you haven't seen it, you can Google it. You can look it up. But basically, God's pouring out his spirit in a bunch of young people. Come on. The thing I love about it when I see, and again, I don't know if I fully know all the details, so if someone says to me, yeah, that's crazy and satanic, then I'm sorry. I just want to tell you, from what I see right now, it looks pretty awesome, right? And I've had experiences where, in fact, this church in the 90s was that. We had that happening right here. It was crazy. I just want to invite you to not hold back because if you, if you really were to bend any of the ears of some young people today who are saying, I just want to see God move, here's what the... the the bottom line narrative is if you could tear back the layers, they would say this, I'm just tired of the way things have been and I want someone who's bigger than me to help me figure this thing out. Jesus. Amen. Right? Amen. And when we get to that point when we're eager for somebody bigger than us to step in and make a difference, Jesus, right? So don't be surprised if God shows up and does that in your world or in your shower or in your car as you're alone. I just, I just am finding myself lately being more and more teary as I'm listening to music or, or spending time alone with Jesus. And again, either I'm just getting old and soft, which is possible, but I also want to tell you, I feel like God wants to create a sensitivity in us. But oftentimes, it's kind of like when, you're, when, when my kids, we would watch, uh, we would watch uh, movies with my kids and I and Polly, and they would always, there would be an intimate, sensitive moment, not that kind of intimate, but be a sensitive moment, right, where there would be like a, a dad crying or whatever, and then they'd all look at me. Is dad crying? You know, and I remember when I was a kid, my dad would all just be like, oh, come on, suck it up, buttercup. And my dad was like, tough guy on. I just decided early on, I wasn't going to let them see any of that toughness. I was just going to let them see the true me. And so they're like, dad is a sissy. <laughs> and I'm like, I'll cry. I'll cry all I want to, man, because I'm letting it out. The Bible says out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right. right? Actually, it says out of the overflow of the heart, this is the New Lance translation, the face cries out. Right? So I'll, I'll let it happen all the time. And I want to let their, anyway, I can go on. It's awesome. When I was in high school, uh, I dated a girl whose parents, she and her parents were Christians. Uh, great, great person. Uh, Great family. I remember uh, one time being invited to their house uh, for, I was a Catholic kid, and so I held strong to my Catholic roots, and I was going to just bunker down and say, that's who I am. So are, you, are we Christians? And I'd be like, yes, I'm a Christian. I'm a Catholic Christian. I'd just like, I'd lose my mind at how important it was for me to stay clean and clear to that truth. But anyway, I remember sitting at their table one time, and uh, her dad uh, said we all had held hands. We were going to pray for dinner. No big deal. I prayed for dinner all my life. I'd done that a thousand times, right? If not more. As a Catholic kid, I did it all the time. Anyway, so he starts to pray. And he's like, Jesus. And he just starts to talk to Jesus. I mean, I don't know what we ate for dinner. All I know is, in two seconds, I was in the presence of a dude talking to Jesus. Like, for real. I'd never seen anything like that because my whole growing up years, the, 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 the God guy up front was wearing robes and splashing water and, and doing all the things, like we, all, the, all the things, and we were reading and quoting rote prayers. And, but this guy, he had a conversation with Jesus at the dinner table. 
I didn't understand it. All I knew was I sat there and I was like, I don't know what it is, but I want some of that. We're in our week three of our series called Arise. We're talking about taking personal responsibility on our faith. We're talking about standing up in the truth that God has been given us and what he has for each of us. Uh, Too often we get in these moments of our Christianity where we throw it into auto drive or we throw it into whatever you want to throw it into, but oftentimes we disengage our brains and we turn it into, well, I got to get up and do my devotional and check the box. I got to do my thing. I got to read my scripture for the day. I got to do whatever and then do the thing because I did the thing and now that I've done the thing and we remove relationship. The word arise in the Bible, we've been talking about the apostle Paul. Paul, who was a guy who we knew him as Saul, was a guy who literally is a young believer, sorry, as a young follower of God, let's put it that way, young follower of God, not a believer yet, had a mission in life to terrorize anyone who didn't love God like he did. And so he made a pretty big effort to do so. And we bumped into him the last several weeks. And if you haven't taken some time to look at that stuff, I want to make sure that you look at that. Go back and listen to some of those messages or watch them. I'll tell you this. Paul, we knew him then as Saul, was part of the Jewish high council that we know now as the Sanhedrin. They were the leading, ruling people of the day. They were the ones who kind of oversaw the Jewishness of what was going on in Jerusalem. And Paul was pretty young. I mean, he was, compared to the guys who had been there a lifetime, he was one of the young ones, pretty zealous, Paul made it his mission to basically do away with, to stand in front of, to block, to squash, to squelch anybody that had anything to do with a message other than the Jewish message that he grew up with. Until one day. Until one day, Paul bumps into Jesus on this road to Damascus as he was heading on his way. That was a better idea in my head. Paul bumps into Jesus on the way to terrorize Christians. Open your Bibles, if you could, to Acts chapter 9 and go down to verse 4. Paul is on his way to Damascus, and he's going there to really mess with believers of the way, people who have followed Christ. So at this point, Paul had not come to Christ. At this point, Jesus had risen from the dead. Isn't it funny how, I don't know if you realize this or not, but do you realize that Paul may have heard Jesus preach? Paul may have heard Jesus preach. Maybe Paul had even bumped into people who had been healed. Maybe Paul bumped into Lazarus, who had been raised from the dead. Maybe Paul saw people who had been with Jesus. I don't know. We don't really know. We know that Paul bumped into a follower of Jesus named Stephen and held the coats of those who threw rocks at Stephen enough to kill him. But all we know is that Paul was aware of Jesus. He, he, was, he hated Jesus. Paul hated everybody who followed Jesus. And this time they called Jesus' followers the way. Right? There was all kinds of things going on. And literally Paul was trying to stand up against all of that stuff. So Paul, on his way to terrorize believers in Damascus, it says in Acts chapter 9 verse 4, he, or Saul, it says, fell to the ground and he heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? In verse 5, it says that Paul, or Saul at this time, speaks out and says, Who are you, Lord, or who are you, sir? 
Interesting, this word Lord or Sir is actually a Greek word, kurios, which is where we get the word master or Lord of me or king who has ownership over me. Literally, Paul, I think this is when Paul got saved. I think this is Paul's come to the front, raise your hands, say the sinner's prayer, read the Roman's road, all of that stuff. This is Paul's version of it. All he said was, this is, I love Paul's direct response. Who are you, master? Translation, you got me. In a snap, I was wrong. In a moment in time, everything I was doing was that way, but now I realize it should have been this way. I love about Paul is that he's passionate, aggressive, he's a go-for-it guy, but when Jesus showed up, Jesus ruled the day. Jesus looks at him and says, I'm Jesus who you're persecuting now. Arise or get up. Go into the city and I'll be, you'll be told what to do. The word arise is the Greek word ahistemi, which literally means to stand up in the presence of others, to get up off the ground, to stand on your feet. I love that Jesus looks at him and he doesn't, he doesn't say, Paul, sorry, man, did you bonk your knee? He doesn't say, Paul, I hope that, that fall from wherever it was you were up on or down, or whatever it was, that fall to the ground, hope that didn't hurt you. All Paul, all, I love Jesus. All he says is, to Paul is this, get up. <laughs> just get up. I think Jesus probably had more compassion than that sounded, but just get up. Stand up where you are, because I, gotta, I have an assignment for you. Some of you have been walking in your life in a direction you knew that you thought was true. And some of you who are watching online as well, I have this idea that I know that my way is right in your marriage, in your job, in your parenting, whatever it is, your finances. I know I'm right. And at some point, you're going to bump into somebody, authority, who has more information than you do. And you either root yourself deeper in your ideology, your thoughts, your beliefs, or you surrender. That's why I think this moment when Paul acknowledged who Jesus was, who Rios, literally, he surrendered. That's what salvation is, by the way. Salvation is about surrender. It's not about adding Jesus to your life. It's about giving up your life for him. It's all about surrender, right? That's why you almost never hear me say, let's invite Jesus into our life. I'll say, how about let's surrender our lives to him. Theologically, both work. Don't get hung up on it. But you know what I'm trying to say. I'm trying to say I want to communicate the message that our, our whole Christianity is about giving us to him and saying, whatever you say, I'll do. Come on. Paul didn't start out wanting to be the greatest missionary of all time or the guy who wrote three quarters of the New Testament. He started out wanting to be the best Jewish Sanhedrin member possible. And God said, yeah, that's cute, Paul. I got an idea for you. So the same story in Acts chapter 9 shows up two other times in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 22 and in Acts chapter 26. The Acts chapter 26 version, I think I'm more, uh, I'm more drawn to the Acts chapter 26 version of the same story because, because, it, because it's the end of Paul's life. It's the same story, but when you read all, all three stories of the same event, you kind of, other things get filled in. I think I look about this last version of the story is when it was, it was the end of Paul's life, within the last couple of years of his life. I mean, Paul had shipwrecked and been beaten and been uh, tarred and feathered, whatever you want to call it. I mean, he'd been just drugged through the mud. 
And Paul says, let me tell you how it all began. And he begins to reiterate the story of him on his way to Damascus when a bright light showed up and he was knocked to the ground. And this voice from heaven said, why are you persecuting me? By the way, time out. Did you know that Paul was heading into Damascus to do what he had already been doing in Jerusalem and persecuting Christians? Question, why on earth didn't the voice from heaven say, why are you, why are you persecuting my people? Funny, isn't it? Jesus didn't say that to Paul. He said, Paul, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Can I tell you this? When you serve Jesus, when you surrender your life to Jesus, he's what you live for. It gets him too. You're not alone in a persecution. When you're persecuted, the Bible says that you, literally, it's as if you're being Jesus is being persecuted because of what you, they're doing to you. Hmm. The Bible says when Paul uh, stood up from the ground, he was blind. He went for three days without food. Can you imagine that? So Paul, or Saul at this point, I'll use the names interchangeably because it wasn't that his name changed like Peter and Cephas, that, that whole thing. It was a different version. I talked about it last week. You can listen to it. But Paul, at this point, literally falls on the ground. Uh, he's, so imagine, he, I literally, they're on their way. They're just a couple of miles outside of Damascus. Gets knocked to the ground somehow, some way, somewhere, on the ground, gets up blind. Like no sea blind. Paul had never been physically blind. Listen, if, if you're a person who was born blind or had become blind, you know how to navigate through life pretty comfortably, and you can, you can journey your course because you know where this and that, and you have all the tools and the thought, but you're out of nowhere blind. Like, you don't know who's, who's around. You're just out to attack Christians. And now God is saying, like, go into Damascus because there's a house of a Christian there who's going to meet you. Right? Can you imagine Paul at some level? He's on his way to persecute probably that same dude. He's going to go walking into his house, and he's going to be like, hi, I'm Paul. I don't know what he's going to do. I can only imagine just all the wondering, like, hey, I can't see, so stop it. I mean, who knows what his, his gate was like? Did, did Paul's gate, was it, was it strong? Go to Damascus. Or did he slow his gate just a touch? See, I'm convinced when you bump into Jesus, he gives you the proper gate. He gives you the right steps. When you can't see, he can. When you don't know where you're going, he does. I think sometimes we get so hung up on, but Jesus, if you just showed me this and gave me this and provided for this, sometimes Jesus just says, hey, just come to me, all you are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I'll take care of the rest and give you rest. Acts chapter 26, I gotta stick to my notes. Acts chapter 26 says this, verse 16. <clears throat> Same story, different time. Now stand up, or Paul, arise, for I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and my witness. You are to tell the world about this experience and about the other times that I will appear to you. I will protect you from both your own people and the Gentiles. Yes, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles to open their eyes that they may turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. They may receive forgiveness for their sins and be given a place among God's people who are set apart by faith in me. I want to point out a couple of things here and then uh, just for 
I'll, I'll extrapolate some of the things I see here, but let me tell you a couple of things that, that Jesus tells Paul once he's getting up off the ground. Get up, Paul. I got something to tell you. Paul, Paul's given three promises from Jesus right out the goat, right out the chute. Listen to what Jesus says right out the chute. He says, listen, Paul, promise number one, you belong to me. You belong to me. He says in verse 16, I have appeared to you to appoint you as my servant and my witness. Right? He's literally saying, Paul, you're not yours anymore. All your plans, all your endeavors, all your pursuits, all your passions, those were yours. But now you're mine. You're mine. You belong to me. I don't know about you, but me, I find complete peace and rest when I realize that I don't have to come up with the plan. I don't have to make myself look good in front of people. I just get to literally follow his plan and his purpose because I belong to him. I love the fact that he says to Paul, first things first, you belong to me, Paul. You're no longer your own. Paul, you, you don't have to try to work it up. You don't have to wear a taller hat. You don't have to polish your robes anymore. You don't have to walk into a room in hopes that everyone just acknowledges you. Paul, you don't have to do that. You belong to me. I'm the one that created everything, and I say you're special. Jeremiah 29, 11, I know the plans I have for you, Paul, if you will, says the Lord, they're plans for good and not for disaster, to give you hope in the future. In those days when you pray, I will listen. In other words, he's saying to Paul, listen, Paul, you don't have to hunt anymore for your worth, your value, or your purpose. Isn't that refreshing? As believers, if we really believe this stuff, we don't have to go hunting for our value, our purpose anymore. We don't have to try to find it in a career or a spouse or a house or a car or a church. You don't have to find it. You just get to find it in Christ. There's such a joy in knowing that I don't have to make the, the, the bars on my chest shine a little brighter so that you can be impressed when I walk into a room that I've achieved this much stuff. Literally, he's like, hey, hey, you belong to me. I'm the one that created this whole thing. I'm the only one that matters. And I call you my own. By the way, maybe that's the whole reason you came to church today. You realize that you too can be included in this family that Paul is included in too. Hmm. Promise number two that Paul receives right out the chute. Not only you belong to me, but this is the second promise. Paul, I will protect you. I will protect you. I think this is such a misnomer when we read that he will protect Paul. I mean, you, you, you're sensible people. And you can only imagine if you do the math on this discussion. This is Paul. Listen to this. This is Paul at the end of his life. By the way, Paul is standing in a prison in Caesarea talking to Agrippa, who basically is about to send him to his death in Rome. Right? This is Paul. He's saying, Jesus tells me right out the shoot I belong to him, and he's going to protect me. Here's what we don't read into this passage. This is the end of Paul's journey, his life, his freedom. This is the end of, because he wasn't really free then, but this is what's happening, right? By the way, prior to this, shipwrecks, beatings, you, you name it, uh, snake bites, stonings, I mean, like a cold, terrible, suffering, all of that, misunderstanding, apostles even getting mad at each other, all this, right? And Peter, Paul just jumps out and says, let me tell you what Jesus told me. He says, I'm his, and he's going to protect me. I want to say, Paul, doesn't sound like you did a good job protecting you. Come on, don't look at me like that. 
you, that, you got scars, Paul. You're walking with a limp. Don't tell me God protected you until I unpack that word protect. The word protect is the Greek word exarios, which means to pluck out, which means to dig in and pluck out. I'll put it this way. Remember when Moses, the Bible says that uh, Moses' mommy put him in a basket in the Nile River. Maybe you do or don't know this. Um, Google it. No, I mean, put him in the basket and it goes down the Nile River because there was lots going on. I'm not going to go out into all that. But nevertheless, the Bible says that Pharaoh's daughter sees a baby in a basket, right? And says to, the, the Pharaoh's daughter says, hey, to her servant, I see a baby in a basket. Can I tell you this? That was the plan. That was the plan all along for Pharaoh's daughter to see Moses. BT dubs. That was Moses' mommy's plan. By the way, Moses' mommy, this is so funny. So, so the Bible says in Hebrew that the, 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 the servant goes down there because of the daughter. Go pick up that baby in that basket floating down the river. The Bible says Moses was plucked out from there. The word Moses means to pluck out. Plucked out of the river, right? By the way, I think it's such a funny thing. God's so amazing. In that time, the, Egyptian, or the Hebrew women were told to basically off your baby, terrible, because Egypt was mad at all the, Jews, all the Hebrew babies being born. And so Moses' mommy puts the baby in. Pharaoh's daughter gets him. Pharaoh's daughter, who clearly hadn't just had a baby, she just now has one now because she got it out of the river, says, oh, goodness, how am I going to feed this baby? We need someone who's just had a baby. Hey, how about you, Moses' mommy? Moses' mommy goes to the kingdom, gets paid to raise and nurse her own baby. Jesus, so good. I just love how God just does stuff. And I'm like, funny joke is on you, enemy. Right? And, and she got paid to raise her baby. It's hilarious. I love that. The word Moses means to pluck out, right? So if he plucked out. I think Paul might have been thinking to himself when he said that Jesus would protect me, he would pluck me out of the shipwrecked boat. He would pluck me out of the rocks that were chucked at my head. He would pluck me out of the beatings and the floggings. He would pluck me out of this prison cell. I love the fact that Paul, when he says, Jesus said he would rescue me, what he was saying really in Hebrew was, hey, he'll protect me because he'll pluck me out of it. Some of you literally have been plucked out of some of the most dangerous and knee-buckling situations that any of us heard would, would drop us to our knees because Jesus has plucked you out of that. Come on. I can see some of the thought bubbles on some of your heads. You're like, you have no idea, Pastor. I'm going to move on past a couple of scriptures. Um, I love this. Paul, just after this moment, is now in that Roman prison. I think it's the second year he's there. This is close to the end of his life. I read a little of this last week, but basically Paul says this. This is Paul to the end of his life, about ready to die, talking, knowing that Jesus plucks him out of all of his troubles. But at some point, he knows there's going to be an end to this journey at some point, right? This is what he writes. As for me, Timothy, he's writing to Timothy. He says, while in that prison cell, he says, as for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have remained faithful. A prize awaits me, a crown of righteousness that the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And that prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward in the glory, his glorious return. As my sister in Tennessee would say, that includes y'all, right? If we'll allow him to pluck us out of that trouble. I love that Paul, even in the midst of all of the, 
the list of things that he went through, says he is so good. God being good doesn't necessarily mean that all your life is going to go storybooky good. It's going to be God faithfully good, right? I can tell you some of the most difficult seasons of my life have been the closest moments I've been with God. And he's plucked me out of some things that I thought, I don't know, if I were me, I would have left me there, God. <laughs> I'm a terrible dude. And how do you allow that to, I don't know how you do that, Jesus. Come on. And you just see him do that because he's so faithful. Promise number three. Promise number three, Paul, I will be with you always. 17, chapter 26, verse 17b says this, I am going to send you to the Gentiles. I will be with you. I love that. I will be with you. It's interesting. We don't really know in our culture, well, we kind of do a little bit, some of the the inequality and, and the craziness, but in the Jewish mindset, there was such a looking down their noses, if you will, to anybody other than a Jew, you were called a Gentile. I don't care... But your skin color, your, your, your social background, whatever, it doesn't matter. If you were a Jew, then you were in. If you were not a Jew, you were a Gentile. And you were, in those words, in their world, a dog. You were a Gentile dog who wasn't worth the scraps off a table. It was terrible. If you were to talk to even a Jewish person today, they would never admit that, I promise you. But they would, they would wait till it was safe enough to say, like, well, we were the chosen people. And, and it's a riot, it's true, right? God picked somebody, and hallelujah. And the thing is, is we, we the New Testament says we can get grafted into that family. Hallelujah. We don't have to wear the weird hats and all that stuff, but we get a chance to be grafted into the family. Amen. And wear curly things. That look terrible. But, but I will tell you, Paul hated Gentiles. And what he hated more than Gentiles are Gentiles that knew that they were Gentiles and wanted to not be Jewish. Christians. So Paul was like, I'm going to eradicate these guys as best and as loud and as public as possible. Hmm. Amazing to me. He said, I will be with you. Paul, you're mine. I will always be with you. And I'm going to give you a new purpose. I love it. It's verse 17b. It says, I'm going to send you to the Gentiles. I always think it's so funny because he was so educated in his Jewishness. And you'd think that that God would have said, hey, look, Paul, You've been studying the Judaism of your entire life. You know the ins and the outs, the ups and the downs. You know all the jargon. You would think that he would have said, I'm going to send you to the Jews. And and Peter, who was a fisherman, who hung out probably with more Gentiles because, well, he's a fisherman. Uh, He could put his foot up on the bumper with anyone, if you know what I mean. I mean, he could chew the fat. He could say the stories. I caught a fish this big. Come on. I mean, do the math. I mean, let's assume if, if I were God, I would have said, hey, I'm going to send Peter to the Gentiles, Paul to the Jews. You know what Jesus did? Peter, I'm going to send you to the Jews and Paul to the Gentiles. I just think like, what? God, that's terrible. Not only that, like Paul didn't even know you before you sent him on a missions trip. Like you knocked him on the ground, you picked him up. He says, God, I surrender. And he's like, good. Here's your plane ticket sending you, which I think is funny to me because he didn't pass the, uh, he didn't pass the, uh, you know, missions group board meeting. He, he didn't know, he, he didn't, Paul didn't say the sinner's prayer. The Romans road, actually Paul ended up writing that, but we don't know that right at this point. All we know is, is that Paul literally, that was kind of funny. Some of you know what I'm talking about. I can tell you this, that Paul was literally deployed. What made Paul deployable? Not deplorable, deployable. 
What made Paul able to be sent out on a missions trip as a missionary? Glad you asked. Let me tell you what made Paul able to be sent out. Three requirements for you to be sent out. Because, guys, this is the whole point of you coming to Christ, that you have a relationship with him and then tell people about it. Most of us have never led somebody to Christ personally. Paul, who is a hater of Christians, falls on the ground, bright light, Holy Spirit, Jesus talks to him and says, by the way, Paul, get up on your feet and go. I'm sending you. Can I tell you this? In my personal opinion, that is a horrible missions training strategy. (laughs) Terrible. Why would you do that, Jesus? Why would you just take a guy who's like fresh out of I hate those Christians to Christians? Like you would think he would have said like, hey, Paul, get your feet under you. Figure out a few things, whatever, whatever. He just said, go. I'm going to send you right there to Damascus. I'm going to send you on your way. Now, time went through, and he had some time of training that happened after that moment. But I want you to know something. The only thing that qualified Paul from hater of Christians to leader of Christians were three things. Let me tell you what they are. Number one, Paul had an encounter with Jesus. Here's what what qualifies you, that you actually know the good news yourself. What qualifies you is if you're a Christian already. So in other words, are you sendable? You know you're sendable to the world who's lost because you know Jesus. Amen. That's it. Number one. Number two, that you actually live or work or go to school next to people who don't know the good news. That's another qualification, by the way. You can't lead people to Christ if you're not around people who don't know Christ. I sat in my office today talking to somebody And I remember I worked for Costco for 11 years. I used to work at a saw shop. I used to make the chokers, the wire rope that went up in the woods when they would log all that stuff. Uh, I went and played college football. I I used to love um, having these conversations with people who weren't church people. And and, um, my whole time at Costco, I was a Christian. The last part of my logging world was I was a Christian. But for the most, like I I used to have this guy who would come into the, the place to get his chokers for his logging trucks and stuff. Whatever. Anyway, he would say to me, "Oh, I gotta, I gotta stop saying those words. I gotta stop saying because you're a, you're a God follower now. Sorry, I dropped a whatever word." And I was like, "Dude, settle down. I'm still the same guy, right?" And then, I, then that's when I learned. By the way, when I was working at Costco and working at the logging company, this is what I learned about speaking in tongues. By the way, God, God can interpret F words because <laughs> it comes from somewhere deep. Right? Four-letter words come from a deep place. They don't just whip out there because of nothing. They, they whip out there because of something, because they're trying to communicate a message. Come on now. Right? You, you, you label the word that you know of. It's, it's like, this sounds terrible. It's, it's almost like a tongue, and you need an interpretation for it, because the words don't mean what you think they mean or what they want you to think they mean. I'm tough. I got a wall. I got an exterior. You're like actually just exposing the fact that you have a deep need. That's how I looked at it. So when I could go love on people, you know, <laughs> I don't hear that many words so much in church world anymore. I got to decipher a little harder. I got I to use my interpretive skills a little deeper in church pastoring work, right? Sometimes the thing I, that is hardest about my job is that I don't get to hang out with enough non-Christians. I just hang out with grumpy Christians. <laughs> Sorry. Wish I, I'll trade you phones for 10 minutes and I'll show you, right? <laughs> Three qualifications, that you know the good news. Number two, that you live around people that don't know the good news. And third qualification, I think one of the most important, that you're able to be nice. Jesus' name. 
right? This is from the, the prophet Polly Powers. Just be nice. I think sometimes our, our, our witnessing, our sharing people with Jesus is like so not nice. You realize you're on your way to hell. Who wants to come to Christ like that? Just love them. Like take them to dinner. Be, be careful. Be nice. Smile when they say a word. Don't act so shocked. Just like that's hilarious. And move along. You don't have to enjoy the joke, but move along. Like don't make a thing of it and just be Jesus. Right? And so we get to be Jesus in front of people, right? We don't have to act crazy and weird. But if you're nice, that's a lot of the work. I think too many Christians are kind of like, well, I, I only listen to Christian music and I only watch Christian TV and I only watch this news channel and blah, 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 blah. That's what I do. And I'm like, okay, how's that going for you? Like, it's great. Good on you. But, but at the same time, don't be afraid to go to Fred Meyer and be nice to the cashier. Just be kind. Let the person go in front of you has less stuff than you do because you're just a believer and you don't even have to preach at them. Just show them Jesus. Because they might be at a place where like, I want to quit on life, but that lady let me go in front of her. For what? She didn't say, because I'm a believer, I'm letting you go in front of me. <laughs> just be nice and let the Holy Spirit do the work. Right? I think sometimes we are, are witnessing. Why am I talking to you about witnessing in the midst of Paul? Because that's who Paul was. He witnessed. He shared Christ. Arise and be Jesus to a lost and dying world. And let me tell you what happened when Paul said yes. Paul showed up in Damascus. Listen to this. Shows up in Damascus. He shows up at this guy's house, Ananias. I'm sure he was terrified. Shows up to Ananias' house. And you know Ananias was watching for Paul. God had warned him in a dream. Paul's coming. And I got to guarantee you that he might have stuck the baseball bat next to the door. I don't know. If I was Ananias, I would have done that. Just because I would have been like, God, I'm pretty sure that was you. <laughs> Just in case it wasn't. Again, I'm being funny. I don't know. But nevertheless, right? Had to be terrifying for Ananias. The Bible says Ananias prays for Paul. And it says scales, like these things like scales fell from Paul's eyes. For the first time he could see. Because we're living in the midst of people who can't see. And you're God's plan A. Empowered by the Holy Spirit, you are God's plan A on how to reach your family, on how to reach your boss, on how to be the boss. You're God's plan A. Isn't there times you want to look at God and say, seriously, don't you, is plan B any better? Because I'm a bad dude, God. I don't have the right things. I still think the bad thoughts. I still have the bad attitudes. Here's what Jesus would say to you. I know. I hear you, I see you, come on now, get up, rise up, stand up on your feet. Enough staring at your navel, complaining about that things aren't the way they should be. Trust me, it didn't go well for Paul the whole time. But he says, get up. Will you go into Damascus and do what I'm telling you to do because I got something there for you. I have a mission and a purpose and a will to fulfill. Some of you have been asking Jesus for a long time. I don't know your will. Let me tell you Jesus' will for your life. I promise you. I don't know if it's a, a, a doctor or a plumber or a truck driver. I don't know any of that stuff, but I do know this. Or a teacher. I can tell you this. Here's what God's plan for your life is. God's plan for your life is that you love him and that you love people he brings in front of you. And if you do that really well, he'll hand you someone else. And the next thing you know, they offer you a job. The next thing you know, you're showing Jesus to your company. 
office when I was uh, pastoring, the first time I was pastoring, I had this, my name badge from Costco. I just, this part of me wants to go back to Costco and get another name badge. I just wanna, I wanna put that in my office and tell, tell you that was my seminary degree. I didn't go to seminary, by the way. I'm not sure if that bugs you. I went to Costco. I became a pastor from Costco. No joke. And I'm telling you that, why? Because I wanna glorify that? No, Costco's whatever. I just got to find Jesus because Jesus just said, Lance, I'm saved you, now go. And I'll meet you along the way. Some of you have been waiting for that thing to hit you from heaven. Let it be today. Let it hit you from heaven. Get up off your feet and begin to do the next right thing God puts in front of you. And just love your wife well. Love your kids well. Love your husband well. Love your boss. Love your neighbor. Do whatever you can and watch Jesus show up. I remember sitting at that table that night at dinner when my girlfriend's dad was praying. I opened my eyes. You're not supposed to open your eyes. I opened my eyes. (laughs) Because I wasn't sure (laughs) if Jesus wasn't standing right there. I thought maybe he was. (laughs) Because he was talking as if it was like right there. He's like... It was just praying over the roast beef and potatoes, but I was like, but he was talking to Jesus. And I opened my eyes because I was like, is he here? Because I bumped into somebody who bumped into Jesus. And I wanted what he had. Too many believers today are spending so much time complaining to God that things aren't the way they should be, that things aren't the way they could be. And if God loved the world, then he would. Can I tell you this? God so loved the world that he gave his son so that you and I could be the light that he wants to spread to the world. And what will happen when you do that? You'll find healing and hope and will. And will it be difficult? Nope, no, yes, it'll be hard. It'll be difficult. Shipwrecks, beatings, whippings, all that stuff, persecution. Bring it on. It'll all be there. But you know, Jesus says, I will be with you. So I ask you one last question. Maybe you're here today or you're watching us on Fox Island. And you've never really, really surrendered to Jesus. I mean, you said the prayer, you prayed the thing, you walked forward, you raised your hand. But you know, when you really said, okay, 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 I'm surrendering it all. And I don't care who sees me. I'm gonna ask you today, if that's you, and you're ready to say enough is enough, I want to arise and I want to literally surrender my life to Jesus and begin this journey of walking it out with him. If that's you, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet right where you are. Right now, go ahead. You wanna surrender your life completely to Jesus. Not just kinda, go ahead, hurry up. See brother, well done, stay there. Who else? Come on. I'm gonna beg you. This is an opportunity, right? You and Jesus, right? Amen. I see it. Right on. Well done. Anyone else? Just stand up. That's good. Stay up. That's great. Thanks. I'm not gonna make you do anything weird. Anybody else? Come on. Can, church, can you look around right now? 
These are people who have come to know Christ today. They're going to come. Now listen, hang on, don't clap. Yeah, I see you, Jared. But I want to tell you this. We're going to pray together, but we're going to lay our hands on them. We're just going to put a hand on your shoulder so it doesn't freak you out. We're going to do that. We're just going to ask Jesus. You're going to ask Jesus to let you surrender everything to him. Amen? So if there's someone around you, can you just put a hand on the shoulder? Can we do that? God, you're good. Today we come and we thank you for men and women who have said, Jesus, we want you. So right now, so they don't feel awkward and alone, will you just say these words with me, all of you together, those of you that stood and those of you who are putting a hand, just say, Lord Jesus, I give you me. Take away my sin, my shame, my hurt, my pain. I surrender my life to you. I give you all of me. Fill me with your Holy Spirit today, Jesus. Give me your will and your plan and your forgiveness. In Jesus' name, amen. Now you can clap. Come on. You know, I, I've said this before. I'll say it a thousand more times that now we should usher all of you who stood up into a new believers moment. New believers class, everyone go and sign up on the dotted line. That would be awesome. But we don't have that here. Sorry, wish we did. Anybody want to teach it? You can. I just tell you, just come see me and we'll figure it out. But right now we don't. So here's what we do have. I think the best version of that. We'll call them small groups. I, you know why? We want them into small groups. Because in small groups, what happens is is Somebody in there is going to go like, I don't know how to read my Bible. I don't even know how to hold it right side up. And what do you mean New Testament or Old Testament? Why is job in the Bible anyway? Come on. It's not weird. I'm just saying, I want you in small groups. If you're not in a small group, then one, you're not learning how to disciple somebody, and you're probably not being discipled. So out there, we, we're the next couple of weeks, you're going to hear us beating the drum on small group because it's really important. So if you raised your hand or stood up today, Sign up for a small group. And those of you who see those names on that list, get in their small group because they need to know you. They need to know you and your marriage and the difficulty you're having with your son and daughter. They need to know that your, your marriage is not easy. They just need to know that Jesus is still good. Amen? So I want to see those lists filled up with people in our church. And I want Dave to come to me and say, Pastor Dave, to say, there's not enough leaders because we have so many people signed up for small groups because... They all want to grow in Christ and become better lights to the world. Right? Amen. Why don't you stand on your feet? God bless you today. Have a great afternoon. Be encouraged today. Bless you.